1: Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. You can find out more by visiting lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show. As usual, on Monday morning, Mark Schulman and I will be talking about current global affairs, what's going on in in the world. We'll visit with Larry Reed. He is the endowed, excuse me, he's Professor Emeritus of the Foundation for uh, for, uh, Economic Education. We'll be talking about the hazard of propaganda in economics. And Jim McTagg, former Barons Washington Bureau Chief, will be joining us as well. It is May the 3rd, and on this day in 1469, the Italian philosopher and writer Niccolo Machiavelli was born. A lifelong patriot and die-hard proponent of a unified Italy, Machiavelli became one of the fathers of modern political theory. He entered the political service of his native Florence by the time he was 29. As defense secretary, he distinguished himself by executing policies that strengthened Florence Florence politically. He soon found himself assigned diplomatic missions for his principality, through which he met several luminaries, including Louis XII of France, uh, Pope Julius II, the Holy Roman Emperor Maximilian I, and perhaps most importantly for Machiavelli, a prince of papal states named Caesar Borgia, The shrewd and cunning Borgia later inspired the title character in Machiavelli's famous and influential political treatise, The Prince. Machiavelli, uh, his political life, took a downward turn after 1512 when he fell fell out of favor with the powerful Medici family. He was accused of conspiracy, imprisoned, tortured, and temporarily exiled. It was an attempt to uh, regain a political post, and the Medici family's good favor that Machiavelli penned The Prince, which was to become his most well-known work. Through the release of the book posthumously in 1532, the prince was first published as a pamphlet in 1513. In it, Machiavelli outlined his vision of an ideal leader, an amoral, calculating tyrant for whom the end justifies the means. we got a lot of those going around, don't we? The prince not only failed to win uh, Medici family favor, it also alienated him from the Florentine people. Machiavelli was never never truly welcomed back into politics, and when the Florentine Republic was re-established in 1527, He was an object of great suspicion. He later died that year, embittered and shut out from the Florentine society to which he had devoted his life. Though Machiavelli had long been associated with practice of diabolical expediency in the realm of politics that was made famous by the prince, his actual views were not so extreme. In fact, in such longer and more detailed writings as discourses of the first ten books of Levi and history of Florence, he showed himself to be a more principled political moralist. Still, even today, the term Machiavellian is used to describe an action undertaken for gain without regard for the right or wrong in the situation. Thinking of Niccolo Machiavelli, the Prince. Well, the Florida Department of Health on Saturday reported 93 new cases, and on Sunday, 74 uh, additional cases. Uh, there was one additional death over the weekend, and of course, uh, you can't attribute that necessarily to, To uh, COVID, because you know, they give an extra $9,000 for burial if it's COVID related, right? Uh, (laughs) A lot of strange numbers going around. It's difficult to believe anything with regard to COVID, but we'll be talking about that later with Mark Shulman. The Republican led legislature in Florida has made strides towards clamping down on potential voter fraud by passing a bill and sending it off to the governor's desk. Quite frankly, I don't think we had a lot of fraud going here in in, uh, Florida. But nevertheless, on Thursday, reports said the bill passed in both House and the Senate with Governor Ron DeSantis s- signaling he'll sign it. The conservative leader actually called for the legislation back in March as a state of the state address. So we did it right, but we need to make sure our elections are always transparent and run efficiently, he said. There should be no ballot harvesting in the state of Florida. One person, one vote. Not bring in hundreds of ballots without any supervision. We also can't allow private groups to pour millions of dollars into the administration of our elections. This is a public function and should be done without the type of private interference that we saw in other states. So let's just say ahead of the curve on stay ahead of the curve on the election administration. You no, know, we never want to see the chaos of 20 years ago Rain its ugly head in the state of uh, Florida ever again. Of course, he's referring to the hanging chads and the uh, election between Gore and uh, Bush. The legislation would add ID requirements for voters requesting to vote by mail, would make voters request mail ballots for each federal election instead of once every four years and would limit some drop box locations at hours. The bill would also restrict someone's ability to drop off ballots to family members, as well as how many ballots could actually be dropped off by one person. Lawmakers have argued these changes will make the state election system even better than it is. I had no idea, frankly myself, that there was any kind of uh, Foul play going on, but uh, nevertheless, there's really no voter suppression here. But we are trying to make sure, Florida State Senator Dennis Baxley said. uh, Let's not wait until we have a debacle uh, to make sure that we've got the thing orderly so that mishaps don't occur. The bill came as several states have already passed election integrity laws, including Georgia, Iowa, Montana. Other states, such as Arizona, Michigan, and Texas, have said they're looking into election laws of their own. Very interesting. Staying ahead of the curve, Robert, uh, Governor Ron DeSantis. Well, on the other end of the spectrum, Senator Mitt Romney was lustily booed by more than 2,100 rep- Republican delegates who packed into the Maverick Center on Saturday for the party's state convention. Aren't you embarrassed?" said Romney, trying to deflect the course of catcalls that greeted him as he took the stage. "I'm a man who says what he means, and you know I was not a fan of our last president's character," as she said Romney, as delegates attempted to shout him down. Accusations that Romney was a traitor or communist flew from the crowd like so many poisoned darts. The cacophony of disapproval only ended after outgoing party Derek Brown scolded delegates to show respect for Romney. You can boo all you like, said Romney. I've been a Republican all my life. My dad was the governor of Michigan, and I was a Republican nominee for the president in 2012. Yeah, he was. I remember shaking his hand as he came through Naples. Uh, but he's certainly out of touch tone deaf where Republicans are today they've morphed into a different party and he's outside on the on the outside looking in frankly in my opinion well Lenny's pub in Ohio says business is booming since they banned NBA games because of LeBron's James James attack on law enforcement last week a Cincinnati area Bar announced they will not be playing NBA games on the televisions anymore unless LeBron James is ousted from the league. Well, we know that's not going to happen. But nevertheless, James has been under fire for threatening an Ohio police officer who fatally shot a teenage girl who was in the process of stabbing someone. The Ohio native posted Twitter, your next accountability, hashtag accountability, with an hourglass emoji and a photo of the officer. Following James threat against the officer, Jane... Lineman, the owner of Lenny's Pub in uh, Delhi Township, announced that people can go somewhere else if they want to watch NBA. If anyone wants to watch the NBA game, don't come to Lenny's Pub. We will not air them until LeBron James has been expelled from NBA, he wrote on uh, Facebook. (laughs) So you know what? Uh, There is uh, 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 backlash to uh, these players and to the league, and, uh, you know, when when people speak out like this, he has to understand he's offending a lot of people. And now, Lenny's Pub, it's packed. More business than ever. Well, with recent U.S. Census data showing that the share of children living in single-parent households has more than doubled since 1968, experts are once again sounding the alarm about the harm to both children and communities wreaked by this transformation into family structure norms. Uh, That data announced by Census Bureau earlier this month shows that the number of children living with two parents has dropped since 1968, while the percentage living with their mother only has doubled, the Bureau said. In 1968, census data showed that about just 15% of children were living with both parents. Last year, the share has dropped, uh, jumped to 30%, and that's not living with both parents. Children living with only their mother is the second most common U.S. living arrangement. Children under 18 are far more likely to live with their mother only, 21%, than their father only, 4.5%. The share of living with neither parent is 4.1%. That's scary stuff uh, because this certainly, I think, affects the well-being and the upbringing of a a child. In fact, the uh, information... The Census Bureau itself noted that children's living arrangements can have implications for children's outcomes, such as academic achievements, internalizing problems like depression and anxiety, and externalizing problems, anger and aggression. Robert Woodson, a longtime civil rights activist and founder and president of the Woodson Center, says much of the rise in the single-parent households, in particular among black Americans, only about a third of whom are as children live with two married parents, can be blamed on policies adopted by the U.S. government from the 60s on, onward. And, of course, what's he referring to? He's li- referring to the Great Society and all the checks that are doled out, not allowing two uh, parents in a, in a family. And uh, it's it's really quite shocking uh, what we've done to uh, black families and uh, to uh, people who are poor. We need to get people back to work and uh, support uh the, uh, two parent families. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at air, uh, Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. Uh, lifeinnaples.net is a website. Coming up, we're going to visit with Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House thrift stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.com. Org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthews House is a 501c3 not for profit organization and does not solicit government funding.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman. Mark, Mark is an author. He's written several books, mainly on past presidents. He's also the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called HistoryCentral.com, good for kids of all ages, including you and I. Mark, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Always a pleasure, Bob.
1: Thank you, Mark. Well, let's start off by talking with the, the news of the day. and uh, What's happening in India? My goodness, uh, it is a tragedy. No,
2: it's terrible. It's what, it's what happens when the disease gets completely out of control. And you see what's happening there: 400,000 cases a day, probably more, I mean thats the number of reported cases. So I figure the cases are much more. It seems to be a variant that's much more deadly. It's killing a lot more people. And of course, the health you know, the hospitals are beyond overwhelmed. Right. Hospitals can't take the patients. Even the ones they take, they've run out of oxygen. I'm not sure how difficult it is, quite frankly, to produce more oxygen, but it seems to be a major, major problem at this point. And so you have you know, people dying by the thousands and cases completely out of, out of control. It was under control, and then two things seemed to have happened. One is they opened up tremendously, you know, the huge religious festivals and also political rallies and all taking place simultaneously. Um, and the Indians, because it was under control, weren't taking the vaccine. So you only have like, a, even though India manufactures vaccines themselves,
3: mm-hmm. you
2: only have like a five percent, five percent of the population is vaccinated, oh. and of course that's you know not enough to do anything, quite honestly. So are there and therapeutics?
1: So do they ha- they have access to therapeutics uh, that uh, could perhaps help the problem?
2: They don't have access to anything at this point.
1: my um, see. Oh, you have
2: to understand something. You when you reach the point where the hospital system collapses, it's impossible to deal with with, with patients. Yeah. I mean you literally people can't get into the hospitals when they get into the hospitals. The medical staff is is beyond you know overwhelmed they starting two weeks ago, they started putting two people to a bed. my oh, gosh, well, so to- you can imagine what 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 that means and yeah. so you know this is what really happens when when things really go beyond control. now it's happening it seems in a few other places in the world too, not quite as bad, but Argentina is in the midst of a terrible outbreak at the moment. Of course, Brazil has been in this outbreak for the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so, basically, the places where um, where people have done two two things have happened simultaneously. It looks like one um, people have not not enough people have vaccinated, and countries thought because the numbers had gone down that they could fully open up without vaccination Without not only just open up, I mean, let me make it clear. It's not just saying, "Well, we can open up the restaurants." It's having mass, mass events, mm-hmm. um, indoors, outdoors, political rallies, all these things together without any restrictions and without enough people being vaccinated. Hmm. So, yeah, what was- you see, you know you see in some of the countries, in Great Britain, for instance, of course, the numbers are dropping exponentially as fast as they rose are now disappearing because the percentage of the population that has been vaccinated grows every single day.
1: Yeah. Now, I'll remind our listeners listeners that you're in Israel right now. You went through a lockdown, Uh, everybody's wearing a mask, getting vaccinated, as you pointed out, and uh, what's the situation now?
2: At the moment, it's it's virtually no COVID in the country. We're talking about 15, 20 cases in a population of 9 million. Uh, We're at about... Uh, 70% of the adults vaccinated at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's maybe a little bit higher even amongst the adults the, because the kids can't get it vaccinated under 16. Um, but the result being that um, that um, it, it's basically disappeared. There are, no restri- there are virtually no restrictions right now at all in the country, mm. with the exception of uh, restrictions in terms of airport, where they're now not allowing people to fly to Six countries in the world at all: to India, to Turkey, to Mexico, to Ukraine. There were two other countries, countries where the um, the situation is out of control. So they've actually not allowed people to uh, to call, uh, to call. Excuse me, to to go uh-huh. um, to those countries. And of course, coming in, you have to be tested and everything else. When you arrive, you have to be in, um, you have to be in. Isolation until you get back a positive, uh, positive test that you have antibodies from a test or whatever.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, Mark, here uh, Fauci has announced that uh, he expects all school children to be vaccinated by the end of this year. So uh, you'd mentioned age 16 in Israel. I guess the plan right now is uh, they're thinking about, now I'm talking about public health officials, uh, vaccinating children and who, you know, to my knowledge, don't have. Uh, sim- if they get it, they don't have s- uh, symptoms that it doesn't affect them that much. And number two, uh, they don't transmit it. So
2: what are you talking about? The that? second part is wrong. Just absolute false science. They transmit it like everyone else does. Okay. They don't. Their symptoms are much lower.
1: Uh-huh.
2: It's clearly the case, although we're having cases of people who've gotten very sick. Some kids have gotten very sick from it.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Uh, but they absolutely transmit it. Um, now, in Israel, they're hoping to start vaccinating 12- to 16-year-olds any time now because um, I believe Pfizer did the tests and they ran the trials and they're just waiting for FDA approval and Israel goes by the FDA. So once the FDA approves, they, it, they plan is to try to vaccinate all 12- to 16-year-olds. Um, so uh, Pfizer uh, came out
1: with a uh, an announcement. They have uh, something they hope to release by the end of the year. That's an oral vaccine. Uh, that sounded right. very interesting, and it sounds like it has different components than the current vaccine.
2: i It has different components, but the ability to be absorbed by the body is a little bit different. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. Um, but listen, the vaccine has proven to be amazingly, amazingly safe. Uh, you know, again, Israel has had most of its population vaccinated, and the number of cases of uh, any sort of serious results are, are almost nil. I mean. You can't statistically separate them out from people who normally get sick from you know just the way life is you know people get heart attacks, people get all sorts of stuff, so the yeah. reality is it's been proven incredibly safe and it worked well it worked. you know what you uh, know, we uh, had ten we had ten thousand cases a day only uh three months ago, yeah and we're down to twenty cases
1: yeah it's it's so interesting because uh, just on an anecdotal basis isn't it's' yes no scientific proof about this but one of my friends. Had a stroke about three days after he had the uh, shot. Another friend had a heart attack and died. Another friend uh, did a, developed a, uh, a, a blood clot, or what? I forgot. Yeah, a blood clot in his leg, and he ended up having to get a stent. So, I mean, there, there's no absolute connection between that, but you know, it just makes you wonder and worry.
2: Well, part of the problem is these these stories get amplified way too much often. And the reality is, you know, X number of people every single day get strokes and x number of people get heart attacks, yeah, and by and large the- you know certainly the people who got the vir- the the vaccine early tend to be people a little bit older, mm-hmm. and the odds of getting both those things are higher,
1: yeah
2: so that's the reality the reality is it's it's worked i mean it's the greatest one of the greatest accomplishments of science that within one year from the time this thing was developed, um enough people are being vaccinated that it's controlling. Disease in parts of the world. I mean, obviously, parts of the world are not. India obviously is not. But the U.S., It's you know, the U.S. The numbers are going steadily down as the percentage of vaccinated has gone up. Israel, you know, already months ago gained control. The U.K. is now gaining control. And there's signs that parts of the rest of Europe are starting to gain control as the numbers are going up also.
1: Nevertheless, though, so, you have to pay attention to what's happening in India and uh, other countries. No, right?
2: India's a terrible situation. Argentina's terrible. Brazil, all these places. And we don't know what's going on in Africa. There's a lot of questions of what's been going on in Africa. It's like a, an unknown. Yeah. And it's something to be worried about also.
1: All right, Mark, we have so much more to talk about. Can you stick around? Absolutely, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of The Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host,
1: Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse. I proudly served as board chairman for 15 years, and now they're doing great things, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best and building a performance center in downtown Naples, as you just heard. I hope you'll visit the website, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us.
2: My pleasure, Bob, always.
1: So, Mark, uh, what we're seeing worldwide is an increase or shortage of materials. Uh, What are your thoughts about that?
2: Well, it's interesting because no one fully understands why this has happened, but it's, it's throughout the whole world, a lot of it has to do with shipping problems that seem to exist all over the world that were originally created by by COVID where, ship, believe it or not, shipping containers uh-huh. are the source of some of the problems where right. there are empty containers in the wrong places and there's a shortage of containers in different parts of the world. And this slowed down the production chains of almost everything. Mm-hmm. And so you have that on one hand. You have a shortage of certain raw materials that go into into product, on the other hand, because... At different points in different places, there were restri- you know COVID restrictions. People didn't work, mines didn't operate. You can you know, go through the whole litany of different issues. And what we have is almost in the whole world different different shortages. I mean, there's a chip, there's a chip a chip shortage worldwide yeah. at the moment that no one really understands why it's why it started. But right now, um, everything from uh, cars to microwave ovens. To computers is all being delayed by the fact there aren't enough chips in the world to being produced. Well, you know, Mark, um, uh, we, we and, bought
1: uh, hmm? we bought a new uh, refrigerator, and uh, they said that's fine. Uh, it'll be delivered sometime in April. We haven't gotten the refrigerator <laughs> yet. So.
2: Right. Well, because refrigerators these days have little computers inside of them. I mean, everything we everything we use in our lives these days are computer based in some form or another. Yeah, and they're all. They're all pushed. They're all run by various chips. that are in a tremendous shortage all over the world, and this is going to put price pressure mm-hmm. on um, all over the world. You know, when there's a short, you know basic economics says when when there's shortages, the prices go up.
1: So the question is, so is, I'm is afraid still? we're
2: going to see some sort of inflation all over the world, not caused not caused by all the reasons that people thought inflation was going to happen because of you know too much money that all you know the Fed and everybody else has been pouring money into the right. markets. But literally because a of shortage of products. So so this is
1: and this is a demand pull type of inflation. In other words, prices could will go up if in fact, but, uh, materials and and uh, real the end products become scarce. So that but the the question is, uh, I guess it may be perhaps slowed down production too because of COVID. So there may not be like a backlog of supply coming in.
2: Right, but now you know productions are now all sped up, or you know. And but they're finding that going further down the supply line, the supply line, there are various things that are that don't exist or don't exist in the in the proper amounts. You know, the the world economy was this um, orchestra that was well synchronized, and every little part participated. And then when suddenly things start being disrupted. Um, it all becomes very problematic, you know. The push over the last thirty years for just-in-time manufacturing, for instance, yeah. you know, that was a, a big change in the auto manufacturers going back uh, thirty years ago. Yeah, where basically they didn't produce, you know, a million, you know, hundred thousand fenders waiting to go onto cars, but they had the fenders arrive just in time to produce them. Well, that all works well when um, everything is working well.
1: Yeah, exactly. But, so, you know,
2: how, but how much of
1: this is inf- uh, influenced? by the shortage of chips and
2: uh you know the uh, stuff chips that... is, a, is a significant part of this but a lot of it are other things we I mean, don't forget chips generally a lot of the problem is is there's a tremendous increase in the price of of um, sea transportation because of what i said in terms of the container shortages and delays and everything else and delays of, of in both los angeles port and a bunch of other ports in the world have delayed everything around the world which has resulted in an increase in shipping costs now chips usually fly by air because the value is so high, right. but it affects almost everything else
1: and well and of course the the fact that we don't produce them here or we rely on other sources, for example uh Russia and uh, china that's that's a problem so uh, let's let's move to Afghanistan and the policy that we've established there. So what are your thoughts?
2: yeah, okay, you know we discussed it last week, and you know i, I I've been saying. You know, both through the Trump administration and now the Biden administration have this very mixed feelings about Afghanistan. I mean, uh, the Taliban are bad people, and we've seen this week they started attacking. Uh, there was a suicide bomb. I don't know if it was a suicide, but there was a bombing, I think it was yesterday, they killed 29 people. They're assassinating women leaders wherever they can. These are really, really bad people. Yep. And there's a really high chance that if we pull out fully with the rest of NATO, that they will win. It's not that guaranteed. The average of the Afghan people by the majority of them prefer not having the Taliban rule them. Yeah. Uh, but it's a difficult thing and we are pulling out is certainly going to speed up the process or make it more difficult to defend against them. On the other hand, you know, what is our role in the world? Can we we've been fighting the Taliban now um, for since nine eleven, we're talking about twenty years now.
1: Yeah, so ten Af- years
2: since we killed Osama bin Laden.
1: Yeah, so Afghanistan appears to me to be a place that has a few, uh, you know, s- cities, uh, and uh, otherwise it's, it's just a bunch of tribes. <laughs> you know, it's it's. So I, I wonder if the Taliban can actually develop the power to to overtake uh, the uh, administration or the the uh, the
2: cities. That- Listen, they had before. Don't forget, before we came in, they controlled all of Afghanistan. Yeah. With the exception of some small areas where there were, law, you know, warlords that were fighting against the Taliban, um, and I don't know, you know, you look at the Iran, right? Mm-hmm. Iran um, and the Taliban, in terms of you know, religious fundamentalism, etc., maybe not quite as bad. Shiites are a little bit more liberal, as I hate to call the Iranian mullahs liberal, but relative to. This, To extreme Sunnis, they're more liberal, shall we say. But still, look, you've you've had a a theocracy in place now in Iran for all of these years, you know, since 1978-79. And they've controlled the country. They've stripped women of most of their rights. Um, They've pushed the country back in in many areas. And the Taliban, you know, Afghanistan was never as developed as Iran was. Yeah. So...
1: Interesting. You know,
2: again, one of the big problems, and we've talked about this over the years, is no one is willing to really have the discussion. What is the role of America in the world? Mm -hmm. What is the fact that we're the strongest country and the strongest democracy, um, economically still the strongest? You know, what is our role? You know, what are the lines drawn? Mm -hmm. Um, Are we responsible for keeping the seas free, shall we say? Mm -hmm. Is that what the U.S. Navy should be doing? No. Are we responsible for for pushing democracy all over the world um, if if we are, is it only in terms of propaganda or do we defend democracy you know with our soldiers? These are all serious questions that no one was willing to discuss
1: uh, you know what and I think Mark that some of our the CIA, the FBI, a lot of these organizations are so dysfunctional at this point that uh, you you raise the right question, of course, but I'm wondering if we have the apparatus in place that truly can focus on a mission without <laughs> getting all tied up in their underwear.
2: No, it's very true. But but again, you know, you would think that we have political parties uh, over the last 30, 40 years with differing views at some points. They Sometimes they mirror each other. Sometimes they switch. I mean, forget the personalities for the moment, etc. But I can't think of any time, I mean, you, have, you had a little bit with JFK, you had a little bit with Reagan, uh, you know, you had the post-Vietnam pushback, pullback, or whatever, however you want to define it, but uh, certainly not since Reagan, has anyone had any, and even that was sort of more symbolic than anything else, a serious discussion with the American people, Yeah. a serious discussion even in Congress for that matter. Yep. Of what the role of the United States should be yeah. in the world, and try to create some sort of consensus in the country because it doesn't have to be a partisan issue. Ultimately, we're not talking—you know—it's it, it, something that Americans either feel or don't feel, and what, what that what that should be, and what the boundaries of that should be. Those are important That's an important discussion, I think, and it just doesn't. It takes place. You know, on a particular issue, whether it's Afghanistan, way back when it was Vietnam, right. whether it's how we should relate to China or the Uyghurs—I mean, all these different, very specific issues—but in terms of a worldview which we can all get behind or oppose, depending on uh, you know what, what comes out, that discussion doesn't take place.
1: You know what I—I I, I think it's—I absolutely agree with you. I just don't think that we have the. Apparatus right now to have that discussion because everything has become so politicized it 's unfortunate uh, no
2: I agree i mean it's like all these other things that should be and doesn't seem to be able to be because of our political system our situation politically our our um, the the great divide that exists in America politically, even though sometimes it, it it's really more of rhetoric than actuality yeah. um, but I still think you know we need leaders who can have that discussion, and maybe someday we'll have them. I don't know.
1: <laughs> well, I think that's a good place to end the discussion. Mark, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Reminder listeners to visit the website, historycentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Have a great week.
1: You as well. You and all your listeners. Thank you so much, Mark. All right, coming up, Larry Reed. He is the pres- President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: Bob Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on the board because they're doing just great work. For example, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's against the trend right now of uh, the Spide administration trying to get everybody on welfare and uh, taking checks. But nevertheless, uh, we're working hard at it and al- along with the election integrity and a number of other issues. So. Uh, there is hope for the Foundation for Government Accountability. I hope you'll visit the website, thefga.org, thefga.org. Larry Reed, uh, his phone was on silent, so uh, hopefully he'll uh, give me a call. I left my number, but uh, I'd like to talk to him about the hazard of the, uh, propaganda in economics. In the meantime, we have a lot of news to talk about. Uh, you may have, be aware of uh, District Attorney George Gascone. The Los Angeles County District Attorney, this guy is just doing, you know what, these uh, Soros-funded district attorneys are creating havoc across the country. He came from San Francisco down to Los Angeles, and he got rid of the gang. uh, well As organizers of an effort to recall, uh, the District Attorney George Casco and say they're working closely with county officials to finalize the petition. Three more cities declared no confidence in the progressive prosecutor this week. City leaders are beginning to see what citizens and victims have known. George Gascon threatens the safety of our communities with his pro-criminal policies and actions. That's an email blast from victims of violent crime for a recall of District Attorney Gascon. Together, we can recall George Gascon and stop his soft-on-crime policies that are not providing justice for victims. Lancaster, La Mirada, and Whittier City Councils all approved resolutions on Tuesday night. Following previous similar moves by elected officials in Beverly Hills, Pico Rivera, and Santa Clarita, the city councils that have pursued these symbolic, pointless, and partisan attempts to aid a floundering recall effort are tiny islands of red in L.A. County's Sea of Blue. This is according to Max Zabo, who has served as a spokesperson for Gascon. Uh, Like the tough-on-crime policies of the 80s and 90s, which focused on punishment at the expense of our safety, Racial disparities and limited public resources, they are destined to fail miserably, he said. He really said that, I'm not kidding. Anyhow, Antelope Valley Press reported the Lancaster City Council approved the pro- proposal for zero, with one councilman abstaining. According to the outlet, the resolution city cited three policies Gascoigne implemented after he took office in December following his victory against incumbent Jack Lacey in the November 3rd election. Those policies included sweeping changes for cash bail and eliminating sentence enhancements, a reform Gascone later admitted, uh, amended after a public outcry. So, this guy, these nefarious deeds, I mean, he's funded by George. Can you imagine being the incumbent? Why is that? Well, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of dollars come in to fund Gascone's campaign. He wins the campaign because of uh, voter apathy. And now we end up with. Uh, Allowing prisoners out, uh, getting rid of the gang uh, organization, the fights, gangs. I mean, it's it's just it's awful. Well, this is positive news to me. I think it's great. These uh, cities are trying to recall Gascon. I hope it succeeds. I hope it uh, works. In well, we know about uh, what's happened in uh, St. Louis. Remember that that situation. Of course, up in Portland, Maine, that situation exists too. The same problems. Unbelievable. Well, 2020 was quite a year for firearm sales, but nevertheless, major firearms companies have all reported increased sales. Last year, Sturm, Ruger and, and company reported sales increased by 39% over 2019. Our tremendous sales growth and profitability in 2020 was driven by a historic surge in consumer demand that began late in the first quarter and continued throughout the year, said Christo- Christopher Colloy, chief executive officer at Sturm Ruger Company. But that's only part of the story, our ability to capitalize on this opportunity was only possible through the efforts of our remarkable workforce and 1,800 dedicated employees. Already this year, Smith & Wesson has reported that its sales for the first quarter are double, that's right, double over the same period last year, of course, which is extraordinary. It was the third consecutive record-breaking quarter for the Massachusetts-based company. It announced it sold more than 600,000 firearms and accessories worth more than a quarter of a billion dollars. With President Biden not only calling for more gun control, but urging lawmakers to act into recent address to joint Congress, session of Congress, sales are likely to only further increase. Representative Andy Biggs from Arizona, who was uh, live tweeting during the address, posted Biden is becoming the leading salesman for guns. <laughs> he said such sentiments aren't far from the truth, as the Brookings Institute reported. Also noted that uh, past spikes in firearms have occurred when individuals were worried about the possible restrictions. An irony is that every time a liberal lawmaker calls for greater gun control and efforts to get guns off the street, those calls end up by driving up sales. Given the recent calls and continuing uncertainty, 2021 should be a banner year for firearms industry. It could also even cost his party the House and Senate in the third terms, excuse me, in the midterms, but it stands as it stands. Biden seems unlikely to change his course. So again, Biden, uh, the best gun sales person in the country, he, he's stimulating firearm sales. I think it's 450 million guns in the United States, 331,000 legal citizens. And there's, of course, some illegals, uh, 20, 000, 20, million, 20 million of those, I believe, but irrespective, uh, when uh, the specter of uh, canceling the Second Amendment comes up, you know, people respond to that. And what do they do? Some people are learning how to use a firearm, taking lessons, and uh, getting a gun. You know, they the first responder in any kind of a crime is the victim. Uh, the police only follow up in order to, and sheriff's office only follow up to try and find the guy that committed the crime. But they can't stop the crime unless it's extremely... Uh, there's a lot of coincidence involved. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with uh, Jim McTagg. Uh, Jim is uh, Barron's, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief, and now retired. He's the author of a couple of great murder mysteries in Washington, D.C. It's called uh, Father Leader, and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the... Bob Harton Show. Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thank
1: you so much for joining us here on the show. I hope you'll check out Choice Social. It's a new, refreshing social networking platform. You can find out more by visiting choicesocial.us. We have with us Jim McTagg, as I mentioned before the break. He's a former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author. of a couple of great murder mysteries. uh, Follow the leader and shake the money tree. Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show.
3: It's a pleasure,
1: Bob. Thank you, Jay. Hey, are you writing another book? Uh,
3: I am. I'm writing a uh, third mystery in in, uh, my series, which features a uh, journalist, Martin Boundary, and his wife, lawyer wife, Twyla, as uh, crime fighters in uh, Washington, D.C., battling the evil forces of the swamp. Uh, This one will probably be finished around Christmas time. Uh, I'm I'm moving from inside the Beltway to Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, so that has interrupted my writing process.
1: Yeah, well, so, nice. And Lancaster's a beautiful, beautiful area up there with the, oh, uh, well, I've forgotten the, <laughs> the name of the group. but uh, Oh, the Amish. Amish, yeah. Kind of yeah
3: it is. It's a different uh, lifestyle. I'll have a trout stream immediately in back of my uh, house. Um you know, I'm moving to an over-55 community, which is being constructed by people who don't speak a word of English, ah. who work from uh, dawn to to evening, and so, so I suspect that they're illegal immigrants, but who knows?
1: Who knows, indeed. So, uh, off-air, you had mentioned uh, there, there's a solution for uh, protecting the populace from uh, illegals taking our jobs. Uh, well, maybe you could tell us about it.
3: Yeah, yeah I noticed... You know, if you If you drive across Pennsylvania or most any state, you'll see every manufacturer has a help wanted sign outside. Yep. and uh, a, a reporter for The Wall Street Journal who had done a story on Allentown PA told me that they're paying as much as twenty five dollars an hour for for new workers hmm. because it's so hard to find uh, qualified labor at this point. And um, you know uh, a problem with immigration, uh, this is going. To, let, let me meander a bit. Uh, if you look at the headlines, if you read the Mexican publications, and, and uh, people, immigrants from Haiti are pouring into Mexico. And you know, their final destination is not Mexico. They will right. come here. Right. And the reason is jobs, and it's easy for illegal immigrants to get jobs here in the United States, uh, for a number of uh, reasons. First, uh, uh, the generous unemployment benefits. Uh, that were passed during covid uh, are being renewed and uh, when they shouldn 't be because mm-hmm. the economy is roaring, uh, but this encourages American workers to stay at home and get paid for doing nothing number one uh, number two we have a a, a drug problem mm-hmm. in this country, so um, manufacturers uh, need people that can pass two simple tests: a math test and a urine test, and a lot of Americans can 't pass that urine test yeah uh, you know, and they would lose their fingers in the machinery. So that shrinks the hiring pool uh, significantly. And let me add that a state's legalized marijuana is going to make it harder for employers of yeah. all stripes
1: great, great to point. find
3: sober people.
1: Great point. I think the most, work. I think the uh, so, big...
3: so So anyway, uh, we have very few obstacles to employers hiring illegal immigrants. Mm-hmm. And the illegal immigrants... Are actually better workers than the Americans. If you talk to any small employer who hire people from Mexico or Central America, uh, the, the employees show up for work every day. Uh, they only call in sick when they're actually sick, Mm -hmm. you know, and they do great, they do great work for low wages for long hours. So there's an incentive for uh, businesses to hire these people and no disincentive right uh, we passed something called e-verify uh, decades ago which is uh, an electronic verification that is voluntary for employers to use to, to to verify that the person they're hiring is a is a legal u.s uh, resident uh... and i said it's voluntary it's used in eleven states mm-hmm. and only one state arizona really has um, serious penalties for viol- for employers who violate e-verify but all uh, Arizona can do uh, is to withdraw licensing there are no fines you know the supreme court ruled that the states can enforce this uh, but but only uh, in regards to licensing so the bottom line is um, we could toughen e-verify and make it mandatory for employers across the country Yeah. Well, you know, there's shut off most of this hiring and that would turn off the spigot. You know, immigrants are not going to come here to starve in the streets.
1: That's right. Uh, So one of the problems, though, of course, is the strength of the lobby of big business like the Koch brothers, who uh, want these uh, inexpensive workers uh, at, at you know, in other words, it's, it's it's a money saver if they get somebody who you described the you know, the profile of the of the immigrant who comes in. Well, uh, illegal immigrants, you know, they want to hire those folks. Unfortunately, they have a big voice in Congress.
3: Well, it's not just the Koch brothers; it's the uh, U.S. Chamber of Commerce as well. Yeah. So it's um, you know, it, and again, the problem is um, American workers, our workforce, our, our worker pool has a huge problem, and it's the drugs, it's, uh, it's the, the welfare mentality, you know. You know um, so it's very difficult to find uh, diligent, qualified labor within uh, the uh, American pool. And, and, and so, um, you know, businesses argue that we would have a productivity crisis if we shut the spigot off abruptly.
1: Yes. So here's the thing. We have uh, 7% unemployment. About 7% of our uh, people are uh, collecting unemployment, and uh, they're, they're receiving more money than they'd receive if they actually went to work. They paid the expense of driving a car, going to work, taking the hours, invested in, in the work, and, and so forth. So uh, we're actually, unfortunately, with this administration, paying folks to not work. More than they would make if they actually went to work now when is this going to end? I would imagine ho- hopefully sometime by the end of the year, but uh, that could help solve the problem:
3: it could I mean i've been because I'm moving to Lancaster, I subscribe to the local paper, which happens to be one of the best local papers in the country, huh. uh, but they have found that in Lancaster people rather than going back to work are working hard to get another six months of this generous unemployment yeah uh, from what I call I call it the the obiden administration yeah because essentially he's continuing the uh uh welfare slash uh, uh social engineering program of uh, the obama administration president biden is and, and it's hurting productivity in in Lancaster County, PA. It's keeping unemployment uh, higher than it should be.
1: Absolutely, it's and that's happening all over the United States, sadly. And of course, if this administration gets its way, we're going to have uh, free childcare uh, for you know younger kids, preschool, uh, free uh, community college. Uh, the, the the programs that we're putting in place right now are just enveloping the comp- country in socialism in in a big government.
3: Yeah, I, you know. I- I'm all in favor of of children, but but you know we I think it's agreed a that that a, a, a two parent family is superior to a one parent family. Uh, the child does nothing to increase the number of three par- of of, of two parent families. Good point. Uh, so, you know if 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 you finance something, you're going to get more of it if the government does. So we might get more children born out of wedlock, right. which is actually a a. a a worse consequence, uh, because because of this uh, well-intentioned bill, I, you know the bill should be crafted to encourage people to, to marry and stay married and raise children. But uh, that will never happen because of the religious overtones, and we're in an anti-religious country. Uh,
1: well, Anti-religious uh, wave right now. But there's also a very strong religious wave, kind of a great awakening occurring here in the United States. So uh, there are uh, forces operating against what's going on right now. But quite frankly, what concerns me is getting these kids into preschool and beginning the indoctrination process of uh, you know white fr- uh, fragility, uh, the sixteen nineteen project, and you can, you know racism, we can go right down the list. And uh, uh, quite frankly, uh, you know the the, I guess it's the it's the uh, teachers unions that are creating a lot of this problem.
3: Yeah, I don't know. You know, I, uh, I have a lot of black friends, and they're they're uh, middle to upper class, and I, they're. <laughs> They are the least racist people I know. They're, um, right. Uh, so I think this reverse racism is actually white-on-white white reversed uh, racism, and that, too, will have unintended consequences. So yeah. as I look at the uh, demographics, people moving to Florida, people moving out west, I wonder what the racial breakdown of those people are. You never see that. And if this is just uh, white flight, which is... Really, a a terrible thing, you know. Like I live in a community now uh, that is uh, racially uh, diverse. I mean, every race you can imagine in, inside the Beltway, right? And it's a wonderful place. Now, the last thing we want to do is create uh, islands of white people. Yeah, it's not good for society. But that might be a consequence. Of, of, of this wokeness that we're seeing.
1: Yeah, well, I think it's it's a bunch of malarkey, quite frankly, and uh, people don't buy into it. Uh, I think, for the most part, people realize that we're not a structurally racist country. Uh, people understand that this they're pushing a political agenda. So, uh, you know, I give the American people more credit than, quite frankly, the Democrat Party is uh, for, and I think it's going to have consequences in the 2022 uh, election.
3: Well, I- I agree with you, and this sounds like I'm off course here. But Tim Johnson's speech uh, was a better speech than, than Biden's speech last Wednesday. Right, and as a consequence, as a, as a consequent, well, or subsequently. He got more attention, he got more buzz, yeah. and he really injected, I think, new life into a Republican Party that was limping. Right, so, uh, You're speaking uh, of Tim Scott, I again, think. unintended consequences, they're, help, they're boosting Republicans.
1: Absolutely. Again, uh, Jim McTagg, author of Follow the Leader and Shake the Money True, its sequel. I hope you check it out. Jim, I always appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Tomorrow we're going to visit with Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. Uh, Boo Mortensen will be with us, Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government, and my wife Linda, who writes Greetings from Paradise. She'll be with us as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>